0: What if I told you that this world is not our home, and that pursuing more of what the world tells us we need for joy and happiness is only a temporary fix to an eternal problem? What if I told you that comfort, entertainment, money, power, and success don't matter nearly as much as you think they do, and that in fact we were meant to live for so much more What if I told you that your life had an expiration date? That one day, you'll leave this earth and go on living somewhere forever. And that this life isn't so much about this life, but instead it's preparation for the life to come. What if I told you that even though we live here now, that we're not earthly citizens, but instead we are citizens of heaven. If a complete stranger walked up to you on the streets and asked you about your citizenship, what would you say? I assume that most of us, we probably reference some geographical location, um, but it would likely differ depending on where we were at the time the question was asked. For example, if, if you were down at Town Center Mall in Kennesaw, and someone asked you this question, you'd probably tell them well, I'm a citizen of the city of Cartersville or a Daresville, Dallas, Canton, um, Kennesaw, Marietta, whatever. If uh, if you were out of state, let's say you're at the beach on vacation, and someone asked you uh, about your citizenship, you would tell them that you are a citizen of the state of. All right, it's ten o'clock. It's time to wake up. All right, let's, let's do with it. Okay, eight thirty was doing better than you. I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, okay, we'll give you another shot. Let's say you're out of the country and someone asked you about your citizenship, you would respond by telling them that you are a citizen of USA, USA, United States of America, right? And and what you'd be telling them by answering their question is simple. You would simply be stating where your home is. And in doing so, you'd be making another statement in a way about your identity and about certain rights, privileges, responsibilities, and protections that belong to you as a citizen of that place you live. Now, listen, even though none of your answers to that stranger on the street would be incorrect, they would still fall very short of telling the full story concerning your citizenship. And and I'll start to explain what I mean, all right? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that every single one of us in the room today is smart enough to know that we're not going to live here on this earth forever, right? Um, Last time I checked, death rate was still at 100%. One out of every one person dies, meaning that whether we like it or not, life is going to come to an end for all of us at some point. And what this book teaches that I'm holding in my hands is that the Bible This book that God gave us so that we could know him, it teaches us that after our lives on this earth are over, we're going to continue on living somewhere in eternity forever. And here's what I want you to know today. No matter who you are, no matter what you walked in the room believing, um, no matter what you've done in life, I want you to know that God's desire for you is that you would go on living in eternity with him Not separated from him. And God proved this to us 2,000 years ago. But when he sent his very own son Jesus into this world to live a life we couldn't live. To die a death we deserve. And to raise from the dead to conquer sin, death, and hell on our behalf. Now, Now listen. It's up to us what we do with Jesus. It's your choice what you do with him as an individual. But I just want you to know that according to the scriptures it's only through faith in him As our Savior and Lord, that we can go on to experience eternal life with God after our lives on this earth are over. Now, here's what's incredible about all this, all right? For those of us in the room today who know Jesus, like we've made that decision to trust in him as Savior, as the one who came to rescue us from sin, death, and hell, here's what's beautiful. The Bible teaches us that our true citizenship, that our actual home isn't tied to some city, state, or country here on the earth, but in fact, our true home and our actual citizenship lies in the life beyond this one. You see, as we're going to learn starting today and over the next several weeks, as we walk through the book of Philippians in this new series, Citizens, but we're going to learn that our true home is actually in heaven. So with all that in mind, I want you to grab a Bible if you have one, go to Philippians chapter one with me. Um, if you're a person who uses a Version Bible app on your phone or, or device, grab that and go to Philippians 1 with me. Um, I know that there's a ton of new people here. Um, you've been showing up for a lot of weeks, and maybe you've heard me mention something about that Version app. You probably noticed we're not a church that handouts bulletins or, or pieces of paper at the door. We utilize technology here on Sunday mornings for our messages. So if you have a phone or a device... I'd encourage you to go ahead and get it out right now and open up your app store. And you can actually go and find a free Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version. And in that app, you'll find a live event for our church. It's there every Sunday. And you can actually follow along with my message. All the notes and everything are there. And, uh, And you can start by doing that today, all right? If you don't have anything, we'll throw it all on the screen so that you can read with us. Now, before we dive in and we actually start reading, I want to give you some background on Philippians, all right? This book that we're starting to study, it's actually a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church that he started in the city of Philippi. And while Paul was writing this letter, he was actually sitting in jail in the city of Rome, waiting to find out whether or not he was going to live or die, all because of his faith. In Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop and I want you to do something right now, okay? I want you to imagine what you might write in a letter to family and friends if you're hanging out in jail waiting to die. What would you write? I think a lot of us, we'd write, right, this stinks, jail's no fun, being mistreated, the food's horrible, community showers are nasty, Right? Um, I think that we would probably write, and a lot of us, and I'm even thinking about myself, we might include a lot of complaining in our letters. Some of us might even question, why would God let this happen to me? But not Paul. You see, in the four four chapters that, that make up the book of Philippians, Paul writes at least 19 times about being joyful, about being glad, and about rejoicing in spite of his circumstances and mistreatment. We're going to see this next week. But at one point, Paul even says that because he's in jail, more and more people are meeting Jesus. And so he's actually fine with being in jail because that's what's happening. And he spends the majority of this letter not complaining, but instead encouraging his church to keep living lives that both honor and reflect Jesus. And if you're anything like me and you say, how in the world could a guy write a letter like that being in his position? Well, the answer is simple. It's because Paul truly believed in the depths of his being that this world was not his home. He was a guy that actually believed that his true citizenship was in heaven, not here on earth. And you'll see proof of Paul's perspective all throughout this book in the coming weeks. And I'm just going to tell you my prayer for us as we walk through this book together, all right? I pray that in the coming weeks, God would radically change our perspective on both life and eternity. And like Paul, I pray that we truly come to grips with the fact that this jacked up, broken, sinful world is not our home. And in light of that, I pray that we become a people who find joy in and base all of our joy upon. Not people, circumstances, temporary stuff, but in and on Jesus and him alone. And I pray more than anything for our church that we would just continue becoming a people who desire more and more each day to spend our lives here on the earth, actually preparing well for that moment. We finally leave this world, and we see Jesus face to face. So with all that in mind, we're going to jump in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. So read this with me, all right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul opens this letter and he's just saying to this church, every time you guys cross my mind... Every time I think about you, every time I pray for you, man, I'm so grateful. There's so much joy in my heart every time I think about who you are and what you guys are doing. And he says that he feels that way about them because of their partnership in the gospel. I'm going to do my best to explain what that means, all right? In verse 5... That word partnership carries with it the idea of different people, very different people sharing in a common identity and purpose. A great picture of this would be a sports team. I told you before I grew up playing sports. I was a baseball, basketball, football guy. And if you grew up playing sports, you know that on a sports team, you share a common identity and common purpose with your teammates, right? Your common identity, it's found on the front of the jersey you wear and in the name of the team. And the common purpose of the team is what? To win. To win. If you said anything other than win, I'm just going to assume you didn't play sports or you played on a team that lost a lot, right? <laughs> Anybody that played knows the purpose and the goal is always to win. And you know, like I know, on a sports team... That shared identity and that shared purpose literally transcends anything that could divide you as teammates. Things like skin color, family background, socioeconomic status, and so on and so on, right? Well, in verse five, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that same thing is true about the gospel. And for us to understand what that means, the first thing we gotta do is we gotta understand what what the gospel is. When you see that word pop up in the scriptures, it simply means good news. And it's referencing good news about Jesus. It's that news I mentioned earlier at the beginning of, of this message. This news about this God who created us and who loves us all so much in spite of us that he sent his son Jesus into the world to save us from sin, death, and hell and to restore us back to a right relationship with him. And this is good news that tells us Jesus actually did that through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. And church, why did God do this for us? We talk about this all the time. It's because God is good and he's loving and he's generous. And God loved us so much that he'd do this for us because he knew that we could never save ourselves from any of those things through our own efforts or our own power. So the big question is this. How does that good news give us a common identity and purpose? Well, it's really simple. When that good news is believed by a person, right? When you and I choose to turn from our sin, to turn to God, to quit living life our way and and to choose the life he has for us. And when we embrace him and put our faith in that good news about his son, Jesus, here's what happens. We become sons and daughters of God. We become a part of the same team, if you will, the same family. We become Christians, Christ Followers, and even though things may be different between us, we all share a common identity in Jesus. And what's the common purpose we share? Well, here it is. The common purpose of every person in this world who knows Jesus is simply this to share that good news about Jesus, the gospel, with as many people as we possibly can before we eventually leave this world and we go home. That's the purpose. Now, The reason Paul was so grateful for this church is because they got this. They got this. And you see evidence of it in the way that this church started. I would encourage you in your own time this week to get your Bibles out. Go to Acts 16. If you don't have a Bible, go to our connection desk before you leave, and we'll give you a free one as our gift to you. But but read Acts 16, and you'll find the story of how the Philippian church started, all right? Um, The church planting team that started this church was not a planting dream team by any stretch of the imagination, all right? Philippians started this church with three people. One of them was a rich businesswoman named Lydia. Um, One of them was a demon-possessed slave girl. And the other was a blue-collar prison guard. These three people couldn't have been more opposite from one another, right? I mean, they had no reason to be around one another, to share life, um, to actually love one another as people. But something brought them together, and why? They were on a church-planning team together, and, and why? Because they viewed themselves as gospel partners. They understood that in spite of their differences, yeah, you you were possessed by a demon, I got a lot of money, and I'm really successful, and you work in the jail around a bunch of criminals. But because of Jesus, we're sons and daughters of the same God. And because of Jesus, we share a common purpose, which is to get the news about that Jesus that saved us out to every person in this world who needs to hear that news. Church, I want to share my heart with you. Concerning our church for a couple moments in light of this biblical idea of gospel partnership. All right, um, first, I want you to know that, that this idea of partnership is why I want Cross Point City Church to continue to grow in diversity and to never become a cookie cutter Christian kind of church. You've heard me say this before, and I'm going to keep saying it, right? I want our church to be made up of people with different skin colors, of different ages, with different jobs, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels. I want our church to be made up of people who grew up in church, but also of people who were straight up heathens and hellions and who hated God in the church before they ever landed here. And the reason I want that to be true of our church is not so that we can go walking around talking about how diverse of a church we are. I want that to be true of our church because at the end of the day, our diversity points back to the power of the gospel. Listen to me, from a worldly perspective, it doesn't make any sense for all of us to be here today, does it? I mean, look around this room. How different are we from one another? Some of us, we left our million-dollar homes this morning, and others of us, we drove out of our neighborhood. You know, we're living in the $80,000 house. Um, Some of us, we grew up in a great home Some of us, we grew up in a very broken home There's black, there's white, there's Hispanic There's people of all different backgrounds here today And again, from a worldly perspective Why the heck do we do this week after week? doesn't make any sense, does it? But from a gospel perspective, it makes perfect sense We show up here, not because of all the reasons that unite us We show up here together each week One big reason, and that reason is Jesus, because of our identity in Him, and because of the purpose we share in Him. And church, listen, I believe that this speaks volumes to our community when they see a bunch of different people coming together week after week to celebrate Jesus. Now, secondly, and this get a little personal, okay? Um, Secondly, I want you to know that this idea of gospel partnership is why I, as your pastor, can't ever be okay, won't ever be okay with Cross Point feeding into a church consumer mindset. And I'll explain what I mean, all right? I think you guys all know, like I know, we live in the land of consumerism. Meaning that if you and I want something or we need something, what do we do? Um, we walk to our favorite restaurant, we drive to our favorite store, we, we hop online, we go to Amazon, and we find the seller of whatever good or service we're looking for. And we pay our money and we get what we need, right? That's consumerism. And we know from marketing and advertising that our favorite websites, stores, restaurants, they'll often go to great lengths to get us to buy whatever good or service it is that they are selling us. I mean, they'll tell us how awesome we are one thing. I mean, they'll make us feel all good and fuzzy on the inside. They'll, They'll tell us how amazing their product is, their competitors. They really stink and they're more expensive anyway, so we might as well buy it from them. Um, at times, they'll even use our, our favorite celebrity or athlete to convince us to buy what they're selling. That's why some of us walk in the room today wearing Hanes, right? If MJ, Michael Jordan, is wearing Hanes, I'm wearing Hanes. We live in the land of consumerism. Now listen, this isn't always a bad thing. I think we could all agree that it's really nice to live in a place where so much of what we need is easily accessible, convenient to buy. But Please don't miss what I'm about to say, all right? When the consumeristic mindset is applied to the church, it's always a bad thing. And I would even say it's a dangerous thing, and here's why. Because when people start viewing the church as nothing more than a provider of goods and services, like the favorite store, the favorite restaurant, here's what they do. They start thinking of the church in terms of what they can consume instead of what they can contribute. And they'll show up to a church like ours or or, or another in the community week after week. And they'll bring with them this very selfish attitude, thinking and believing that everything we're here to do is all about them. And their expectation is to leave spiritually fat, happy, and entertained. And if whatever church they're in doesn't come through, they'll just go to the next church. And they'll try to find that one church is going to help them to leave spiritually fat, happy, and entertained. And listen, never once do they ever consider contributing anything back to these churches that they want so much from. It's consumerism in the church. And I just want you to know that I can't ever be okay with this church feeding that mindset. We're never going to promote here this idea that the church is just some provider of goods and services Where everybody shows up after week after week, and we consume and consume and consume and consume, and and we never contribute. We never give back. See, instead, we're always going to hold up what this book teaches to be true, and that's this. That the church, Big C Church, right? It's the bride of Christ. And because that's true, you and I as followers of Jesus, we should love her. We should serve her. We should always desire to give our best to her instead of only thinking about what we can take from her for ourselves. I mean, can you imagine how Jesus must feel when people think about his bride and all they ever want to do is take? Can you imagine? I mean, if somebody thought that and and acted that way toward my bride, I know what I'd feel and think. I know what Jesus thinks. You see, this is why, as your pastor, I'm always going to push you, always going to push you to serve others selflessly, to give sacrificially, and to grow deep spiritually in your relationship with Jesus so that you can help others do the same. Man, I say this in love, but please hear my heart. You just gotta know, man, if you don't wanna be about those things, you are going to be miserable here. Because we talk about this stuff all the time. Man, if if you are looking for a church that's just gonna baby you and always say yes to you and never offend you, He's telling you, in love, this isn't the place for you. But, 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 look at me. If you're looking for a church, it's always going to push you to love Jesus and other people more and more. And to think about yourself less and less. And dive in here. Become a partner in the gospel with us. And be a part of what God is doing in and through this church. And for those of you who already are partners with us, I just want to say to you, like Paul said to this church, so thankful to God for you. And I really want you to believe me when I say I pray for you all the time. with so much joy in my heart. I want us to keep reading verse 6. After Paul commends the Philippian church for their partnership in the gospel, he goes on to write what I believe is one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. And we'll read it and I'll tell you why. Here's what he says. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion At the day of Christ The reason this verse is so encouraging Is because Paul is reminding us Of of a truth that we actually sang earlier In our service That we serve and worship a God Who always finishes What he begins And this is encouraging for a couple reasons First, it, it means for those of us In the room that know Jesus That there's nothing that we can ever do That would cause God to give up on us To stop loving us or to stop being a father, right? And I know, listen, I know that there's people who would argue with that. There's people who would say, no, no, no. You can lose your salvation after you have it. And I would just say to those people, they need to read their Bibles better, okay? Um, Paul is just stating in this verse what's stated in so many other passages throughout the Bible, like John 10, like Romans 8. And again, the truth is this, that sons and daughters of God, God will never let us go, and he'll never give up on us, ever. And then I hope that you take comfort in that. For those of you that have been away for a long time, for those of you that know Jesus, but you've been running from God, for those of you that have been burned by the church and because of that, you're not too keen on the church, but you're coming back just to try and figure out, I need to be a part of this. I just want you to know God loves you. And if you know him, you're his son, you're his daughter, and he will never give up on you. Parents in the room, you should get this, right? Did you ever give up on your son or your daughter, no matter what they did? I mean, I know I wouldn't. Listen, my daughter last week, for whatever reason, we're locked up in the house. It's snowing, sleeting, ice everywhere. She decided she was going to make that the most miserable week of two and a half years on this earth, okay? She was a nightmare. And uh, it was all I could do to keep my sanity. But listen, never once did I sit back and and go, ah, I'm done, right? Rowan, you're going to have to go live somewhere else. I don't want to be your dad anymore. Never once did I do that. And why? Well, because good, loving dads never give up on their kids no matter what. And you just got to know that the same thing is true about God. If you are his son or daughter, there's nothing that can separate you from his love toward you in Christ Jesus. I should encourage A second reason this is so encouraging is this because according to this passage, It is God's job to make us like Jesus, not our job. It's God's job to make us more like Jesus, not our job. Here's why I love this. Because if you're like me, right, you know that the goal of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. And again, if you're like me, what you do oftentimes is you'll pick this book up and and you'll read about Jesus. And then you'll look at your own life and you go, dang, I am nothing like that, Right? I've got so far to go. God must be so disappointed in me. And then what you'll do as a result is this. You'll have this mindset in which you start thinking, I need to do better. I need to be stronger. I need to work harder. I need to do more. And as a result, you will start reading this book more. You start praying more. You will start coming to church more. You might even start serving more. And you do that in self-reliance, Right? You don't do it to rely on God. You do it to rely on yourself, thinking that the more religious stuff you do, that means you've taken your life into your own hands and changing and transforming yourself to become more like Jesus. Well, again, Paul's point is that's not your job. And you can try and do that all you want, but it'll never work. You'll always be unsuccessful because God's the only one who can do that kind of work in your life for you. you. See, God started the work of salvation in you, and his promise is that he'll finish it. He will make you more and more like Jesus every day of your life until he makes you just like Jesus on that day you finally see him face to face. You want to know what your part in that is? It's really, really simple. Your part in that is to open yourself up to the work of God in your life on a daily basis so that he can change and transform you and make you more like Jesus. So from a practical standpoint, again, here's what this looks like. It looks like more Bible reading, more praying more serving, more coming to church, more repenting of sin, more giving financially. And you're not doing those things in self-reliance. You're doing all those things in order to press into God, to know him more and to use them the way they were meant to be used as tools and disciplines that were meant to you or meant or in, and given to you in order for you to position yourself before God, opening your life up to his work, so that he, not you, can make you more like Jesus. You get that? You understand that? Big, big, big truth. I hope that encourages you. Um, keep reading with me. Verse seven. Paul goes on. He said, "It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel." I'm only going to spend a minute on this verse, um, but there's one big truth I want to touch on from it. And that truth is this. Paul says to this church that they are all partakers of the same grace. And that simple statement should remind us of this. That it doesn't matter who we are today. It doesn't matter what we've done in life, what we walk into this room believing. We are all in desperate need of God's grace. And we're in need of it the same as the person sitting next to us. Right? It doesn't matter if you walked in the room today as the holiest churchiest person here, or if you walked in today and and people believe that you're literally Satan in the flesh, we all need God's grace and we all need it the same. Listen, Christians in the room, that truth should always keep you really, really humble. You know, God doesn't accept you and love you because you're so awesome, right? I mean, he didn't look at you one day and go, I want that guy on my team. He's killing it down there. No, man, you, you need God's grace just like the person you know who's the furthest from God a person can possibly be. That should always keep you humble. For those of you that walk in the room today and you don't have a relationship with God or you've been running from one, here's what I want to say to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I don't know some of you probably believe, why would God want a relationship with me after all I've done? Again, you just have to know God doesn't love us and he doesn't save us and he doesn't show us grace because of what we do or don't do. He gives us all those things freely because of what Jesus has done for us. There's no standard for you to live up to in order for God to love you. All he wants you to do is put faith in that good news that we talked about earlier and believe in his son Jesus. And he gives you grace, love, and (coughs) and acceptance at no cost to you. Now, listen, I think if you're having a hard time with this, you just need to remember Paul. I love that Paul's writing this because before he was a Christian, you know what he spent his life doing? Killing Christians. And if God can show a guy like that grace, I promise he can show you the grace that you need. Um, We're going to get ready to wrap up with verses 8 through 11. So read these with me. Paul says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I want you to know, I'm going to stop there for a minute. I want you to know that as your pastor, these two verses resonate with me so deeply. Paul says he yearns for this church, that that he loves them deeply. He actually loves them with the same love that Jesus has shown them. And he says because he loves them so deeply, his prayer for them is this. He prays constantly that they would grow in knowledge and discernment, meaning that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of God and in their ability to follow the leading of His Holy Spirit in their lives. And He wants that for them so that their love, their love for God, their love for each other, and their love for lost people would just abound more and more and continue to grow and grow. Again, as your pastor, I, I get that. Like, I truly hope that you believe me. When I stand on the stage or, or I write emails or, or letters or Facebook posts, and I tell you that I love this church more than I can express in words hope you believe me when I say to you that it is my absolute joy to be your pastor. And because that's true and because I love you so much, my prayer is the same as Paul's prayer. And I pray all the time that you would be people who daily press into God and treasure Him above all else in life. I pray all the time that you would know God in a deeper way on a daily basis and that you would live in joyful obedience to Him, always following His leading in your life. And you just have to know, man, I pray for you all the time. And I pray that you'd love God more. That you'd love each other more. That you'd love people outside the walls of this box we're in who are lost, dying, and going to hell more and more. I pray that all the time. And here's why it's my prayer for you. It's the same reason Paul prayed this for this Philippians church. Find the reasons in verse 10 and 11. Here's what it says. So that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You know why I want you to love God more, know Him more, and consider other people more important than yourself? You want to know why I want you to love people outside this, this church building who don't know Jesus more and more? And here's why. Because I know that one day, your life on this earth is going to be done. And I know that on that day, you're going to stand before Jesus you're going to see him face to face. And more than anything, what I want for you as your pastor is for that day to be a great day and for you to stand before Jesus pure and blameless as a person who spent their entire life here on the earth loving him more, knowing him more, approving what was excellent, being filled with the fruit of his righteousness, meaning that you are a person every day that pressed into God, allowed him to work in your life, to reproduce the character of Jesus in you so that through your life, he'd be made known to a lost world and be honored and glorified through you. That's what I want for you more than anything. For those of you in the room who don't know Jesus, you have to know that kind of life starts by you putting your faith and trust in him. It starts with you believing in the good news, the gospel that we talked about earlier. You just have to know, man, that, that day when you finally see Jesus face to face, It's not going to be a good day for you if you spent your entire life here on the earth rejecting Him up until the point you saw Him. So again, what I'm saying to you is this. Accept Him. Put your faith. He loves you more than you comprehend. He gave His life for you. And He wants a relationship with you in spite of you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. God wants you now and forever. For the rest of us who know Jesus, again, it's about you waking up every day, setting your sights on that day you're finally going to see him, and living every moment of your life in preparation for that moment when you finally lock eyes with Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord. He takes that conscious decision every day to say, you know what, today, pure and blameless, Today, I'm going to prove what's excellent. Today, I'm going to live in joyful obedience to to what God wants for my life. Today, I'm going to open myself up to the work of God so that he can reproduce in me the character of his son Jesus because I want people to see Jesus in and through me. That's what it takes. I think often about what would happen if every person who makes up this church was living like that. Can you imagine what would be possible? Can you imagine what Crosspoint would look like, seriously? If every person that calls this church home woke up every day and thought about that day. Love God more, press into God more. If we actually considered each other more important than us, if we shared the gospel with people who need to hear it every chance we got, can you imagine what would happen? I'll tell you what I think would happen. I think God would do something in this community using this church, we can't begin to dream up in a setting like this. I believe in the future people would bring up the name of Cross Point, and they would simply share stories of the power and faithfulness of God to use a bunch of jacked up, crazy, heathen, former heathen people like us to put on display His Son Jesus in this broken, dark world. That's what I want for our church. We're going to take time right now in this moment just open ourselves up to the work of God and to pray to that end. So I just want to invite you all over the room just to bow your heads and pray with me. If again you're that person who walked in today without a relationship with Jesus, and if you're here and you've never asked God for a relationship with Him, you've never put faith in Jesus as, as your Savior. And again, you have no idea if your life were to end. What in the world would happen to you. And I just want to say to you again, God loves you. And you can be sure of all those things before you leave today. It doesn't require anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix your life. God will do all that for you. You simply have to put faith in Jesus and his sacrifice. And you can do that by praying simply in this moment and saying something like this to God. Just say, God know I'm not perfect God. I know that I failed to live up to the type of person you created me to be God, I've sinned that I know I've fallen short time and time again but God I believe today I choose to believe today that you love me in spite of me God, and that you loved me so much that you sent your own son to this world to live the life I couldn't live to die the death I deserve I believe Jesus rose from the dead to come to sin, death, and hell on my behalf. And God, today I'm asking you save me. Forgive me. God, make me a new person. God, give me eternal life with you. I want you to know if you pray that God is the God who keeps his promises. And you have to know that, that right now, God has forgiven you in Jesus of all your sins, past, present, and future. And today you can walk out of this room hopeful, knowing that God's going to continue to chip away at you. He's going to continue to rip the old you out of you. And he's going to replace it with a brand new you. And you can know today that a shadow of a doubt that when your life is over, it's going to be a good day for you. Father, for the rest of us, help us to desire you. Help us to love you more. Help us to press into you more and more each day so that, God, you can reproduce Jesus in us and through us. God, my prayer is in the next few moments as we pray, as we sing, God, that you would help us truly just to open our lives up to your work, to whatever it is you want to do in our lives today in this moment. God, we're just giving you this time. I pray that your spirit would fall pray that you'd move in power, and I pray that you'd send us all out of this room different than when we walked in, and we are trusting you for that. We love you, and we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.